Today's dead idea, Moism, and this is part four now. <laughs> and today what we're doing is we are continuing my assault on this freaking city that I'm trying to take, and Andre <laughs> is using Moist tactics against me. It's not me, it's Grandmaster Mo. Grandmaster Mo, <laughs> GM Mo. Yes, game game yes, Master Mo. Game Master Mo is using these tactics against me, but I've somehow I've got to prevail. Yes. So it's a roleplay episode, you know, all about the Moist defense tactics. This time, I'm really going to take the city, damn it. Yes. That's what we're talking about today on Dead Ideas. Hey, thanks for listening, everybody. The music we just heard was composed by Rachel Westoff, my lovely wife, and when she asked me for a white picket fence for our new house, I didn't think she was using Moa's defense tactics. <laughs> it's funny if you heard the first episode. Yes. <laughs> so picket fences that turned out to be not quite as weak as I thought they were. Those rotating autocrossbows, man. It's a problem. <laughs> I didn't know she wanted rotating autocrossbows for our white picket well, fence. The, the surprising part is she got them on Amazon. I didn't know they had those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this is Andre's baby. We didn't think this was going to go to two episodes, but uh, here it is. I mean, if so, you don't know how to take a city, apparently it takes a little while. Yeah, I guess I failed <laughs> too much. <laughs> uh, so we were going to start off with a little plug. Okay. Um, I'd like to plug a, a, a website. Uh, uh-huh. If you are a history buff, if you uh, love reading books, if mm-hmm. you perhaps love reading books more than you love talking to people like mm-hmm. I do, mm-hmm. uh, you might be an introvert. Mm-hmm. And I'm uh, very. There pleased. are no introverts listening to this show. None. <laughs> no, zero. Nobody, nobody zero percent. Raging extroverts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm very pleased to be able to work with a website called Introvert Deer. It was founded by my girlfriend uh, Jen Graneman about five years ago. It's become the largest introvert website in the world. Introvert Deer D E A R dot com. And uh, I have a little tie-in for this because apparently Grandmaster Mo approves of introverts and believes they should be accepted. Well, sounds so, a little anachronistic, but it I'll sounds roll with it. right. Yeah, but I have a quote here from the Motsu text uh, on him describing the different kinds of men under your command and how you should deal with them. Mm-hmm. He says, "There are slanderous men, and there are men who are beneficial. There are bad men, and there are good men. There are skilled men, and there are strategists. There are brave knights, there are clever knights, and there are trustworthy knights. There are those who are internal, and there are those who are external." And he goes on to say that you need to know all of your men and understand them and give each one of them an assignment based on their strengths uh-huh. and make sure that each one of them is included. Aww. Yeah. So he was wow. fan of the introverts. So the internal is the introvert. You're... I, I'm yeah. interpreting a little interpreting bit. Interpreting So yeah. based on the lack of notes in the translation, they right. were confident in translating as internal and external. Uh-huh. But based on the fact that they put air quotes, I mean, I guess printed quotes, around yeah. internal and external, they seem to think that this might mean something different than just internal and external. Right. So I'm interpreting that to mean there are people who are more introverted or reflective, and there are people who are more external or yeah. uh, talkative. I will I'll roll so. with it. Grandmaster Mo accepts you as an introvert. So does introvertdeer.com. Sign up for the defensive army of Grandmaster Mo. Jim yeah. <laughs> Graneman also has a book that I was ready to not like, but honestly, it got me. <laughs> yeah, it's a good book. Nice. Yep. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Secret Lives of Introverts by That's Jim correct. Graneman. Okay. Amazon bestseller. Yep. All right. We will stop plugging things. Okay. Shall we commence with the slaughter? I want to plug things now. <laughs> <laughs> you have a lot of men whose wounds need to be plugged. Yes. Yes. So here's where we left off. 
Brandon's army is assaulting a city, mm-hmm. foolishly, and without virtue, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> right, because it's aggressive warfare. It's aggressive warfare. According to the most, that's wrong. Of course, yes. yes. Both unvirtuous and just impractical. Yes. Not to mention, out of accord with the Sage Kings. Yeah, a waste of resources. Yes. He expects that within 14 days, originally mm-hmm. when he first arrived, yep. uh, an army might come to relieve the city that he is besieging. Yep. He has now wasted a few days. He's yep. down to just 10 days, 10 days. remaining. Still plenty of time. Now, in Brandon's favor, he has managed to get past the outer defenses mm-hmm. and is now trying to deal with the outer city wall. There's an outer wall, followed by presumably a moat and an inner wall. Mm-hmm. So that's where we are right now. Now, the way this works, Brandon, I am going to give you several options of different places or ways that you could attack. Mm-hmm. You can choose what you want to do, and we will see what horrors Grandmaster Mo. Game Master Mo has awaiting you. <laughs> uh, some of these may open up other uh, opportunities. Uh, many of them will result in your demise. <laughs> All right, are you ready? I am ready. Your remaining choices to assault the outer walls are bring in the approacher, sudden strike at the sally port, capture a scout. Uh-huh. I'm going to capture a scout this time. I, okay. Clearly, I need the inside info in order to get past you yes. know the defenses that are planned. Once I know what he's planning, I feel confident. Right. Yeah, and it's that the surprises is, that get you. Exactly. No, you, you, you've you got this down. It, that is exactly why you try to capture a scout, because just as they come out to reconnoiter your defenses and methods, um, you were hoping to then extract from them something about the defenses of the city and right. the methods being used. So yeah. that's exactly right. With some effort, you do manage to capture a scout. Okay. You begin to interrogate him. Mm-hmm. It would seem, even after repeated efforts of interrogation, that he actually knows very little. In fact, you find out that the scouts are kept housed separate from all other officers and soldiers inside the Oh, city. no, he's got like a sleeper cell structure to his defense units? <laughs> he really does. Like information is cut off? It's, yeah, he's oh got information silos. Okay. Scouts are kept separate from all other officers. So they can never overhear plans or tactics of any kind, and uh-huh. they're barracked separate from regular soldiers. Okay. In addition, there are three teams. This is the one useful thing you get out of them. Uh-huh. There are three teams of scouts. Uh-huh. And... One problem with scouts is that you'll send out your scouts out past your outer line, and they're facing a dilemma, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that they could actually go out and scout, which raises a high chance of being killed or, as in this case, caught. Mm -hmm. Or they could just, like, lay low for a while and go back and just make up some stuff that they scouted. That's Uh that's an issue that many generals have to contend with. Okay. Grandmaster Mo, however, has three rotating teams of scouts. Each one housed separate from the others so that they cannot confirm with each other or get their stories straight. And they're sent out several hours apart on separate scouting missions to reconnoiter uh-huh. the same area. So if they don't have the same story, then you know that somebody's lying. Yeah. And in fact, they are heavily incentivized because if all three missions come back with matching information, even though they can't confirm with each other, yeah. they are all immediately rewarded with a promotion and money. Mm-hmm. So... That's the one useful thing you get out of him. You suddenly realize that Grandmaster Mo must have a very clear idea of what your next move is at all times because of his highly reliable scouts. Okay. And unfortunately, you extract no useful information from the scout about Grandmaster Mo's defenses. So I only learn that I'm even more fucked. That than I is, thought. yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. All now, right. The good news on this uh-huh. uh, is that this does not cost you any days. Okay. You just interrogated a guy. You, you haven't lost any significant okay. time. I don't have to ring the gong. No. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Well, then, so it's between the sally port and the... And the approacher. And the approacher. (laughs) All right. Oh, I feel like I'm just going to get slaughtered at both of them. Um, That is exactly how you should feel. I almost would say that might be your conscience kicking in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe that. (laughs) Your utilitarian conscience. Yes. Okay, so... I'm going to go with the sally port because I feel like the approacher is probably a known tactic that, you know, he's probably got something developed against that particular technology, but the sally port I could go at a bunch of different ways. It might be harder for him to come up with a specific strategy. That makes sense. I like that reasoning. I like that a lot. Okay. So the sally ports, basically, uh, we discussed this a little bit in the last episode, the structure of a Chinese uh, city defense is mm-hmm. that you don't try to keep one impermeable wall with just one gate or maybe two gates. Mm-hmm. You try to keep as many gates as possible. Uh, so Grandmaster Mo actually... counterintuitive. It, right, it seems very counterintuitive. Yeah. Grandmaster Mo actually recommends having one sally port every 500 feet around the entire city wall. So that's like a football field and a half or a little more. I'm bad with football fields. Not going to lie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. could convert it to meters if that helps. <laughs> <laughs> As are all of our international listeners. So never mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, the point of these sally ports is that no matter where you attack. So the point is that then they can open gates somewhere where you're not attacking and send out troops to attack you uh-huh. outside the wall. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the whole idea of Chinese uh, defensive warfare at this time. So you have multiple lines of defenses, and you're willing to give some up to really mess with the enemy, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Okay. So every 500 feet, there's a sally port. All of them have some defenses, but obviously none of them have a ton of defenses. So your reasoning is, if you can just sudden strike, if you can just rush a bunch of men up there and just batter through that, that sally port gate, you could maybe get through into the city, maybe take a tower, maybe open a gate, and make a real dent here. Okay. Right? So, your men rush in. They do successfully break through the sally port door. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's a little arrow fire they're taking, but a lot of mm-hmm. them get in. They get into the sally port itself, which, of course, has another gate at the far end. Yep. This is where a problem arises. <laughs> How could I have guessed? <laughs> so, although... What those... horrors do they rain upon me? <laughs> Although the sally port is lightly defended, uh-huh. uh, there's enough men. It doesn't take a lot of men to do the following tactic. They have prepared a special lid for the outside door, which you just broke through. It's made basically out of two wagon wheels, which have been covered with a gigantic piece of wood and then completely coated with dried mud. So it's a little bit fire resistant. Okay. And they just sl- just like throw that down in place over the outside gate that you just broke through. Okay. And of course, the inside gate still hasn't been broken through. Okay. So now you are. I mean, you're alive, but you're trapped between two closed gates. Oh, so the door closed behind yeah. me. Oh. And that and big, the, oversized wagon wheel door is for a reason. with glee. There's some cackling. <laughs> because what they do is behind every sally port, they have a small furnace ready to go. Oh, and they geez. now begin pumping in smoke, but not just any smoke. They have balls of dried artemisia. Which is? So artemisia is the family of plants that wormwood belongs to. Okay. And I don't know much about this. I will say that wormwood is considered toxic. Uh-huh. I don't know that its smoke is any more or less toxic than any smoke. I mean, okay. if you just breathe smoke, it's bad already. Yeah. No matter what it is. Yeah. I know that if you had enough, like, wormwood that you ingested, it would be poisonous. I don't know if the smoke is poisonous. Okay. 
The bottom line is, they at least believe that this is particularly noxious smoke. Okay. I can attest that it's if you just kill. take a tiny bite of uh, Artemisia, which is safe to do a tiny like little bite of the leaf, yeah. it is literally the most bitter thing you'll ever taste. It is the wow. worst, bitterest flavor. You will regret that I ever suggested you try this. It grows native around here. Try it. <laughs> okay. And then you can hate me. All right. Yeah? So they throw balls of dried Artemis into the furnace, and the bellows start going, and the entire corridor fills with smoke. Now, there's no question that you could, with time and effort, batter through the inside teleport gate just as you battered through the outside one. Yep. And you could, with time and effort, batter your way through this new fancy seal that they threw down behind you. The problem is you may have a capacity for effort, but you don't have much time. Right. Because, because the, you are being smoked to death. Yeah, and being smoked out. Yeah. yeah cloud kill going on. An area effect spell. Yeah. Yep. So the men on the outside who hadn't gotten through yet before the lid was thrown down try to batter through. The men on the inside are screaming and choking. Arrow fire is being rained down as more and more defenders are called to the spot where the sally port was breached. Yes. And a few of your men do drag their weary carcasses back to you, but many have been lost. Ah. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and you hear the voice. Of Grandmaster Mo. If you strike a dog, the dog will bite you. If you strike a horse, the horse will trample you. If you strike a pig, the pig will maul you. If you strike officers and soldiers and ordinary people, are you foolish enough to expect a different result? Oh, God. <laughs> Another fail. Another fail. <laughs> so, you are now down to nine days. Nine days. I, okay. I regret to inform you. Yes. Yeah. We're going to get it this time. You're going yeah. to do this. No problem. All we need is confidence. I read the book, The Secret. <laughs> just need to believe it. If you believe it, it's going to, yeah. Just yep. visualize. Visualize. Yep. Just visualize it. Right. Visualize penetrating through the walls. <laughs> so at this point, the only option left from your original uh, options at this yeah. area was to bring in the approacher. That's right. You still have that option. Okay. Um, and I will also give you now the option of a front of 500 boo. Explain what a boo is? It's a unit of measurement. Okay. This would be a front of 2,500 feet. What is a front, then? Like your what front you line. Presenting a front of 2,500 feet wide. A 2,500-foot unit of soldiers. Right. In other words, would you just throw an entire, like, 2,500 feet almost a half mile, entire half mile wide, you know, swarm of soldiers at the wall. So it's the ant approach again. It's a little different than the ant approach because the ant approach is concentrated. It's a gigantic swarm hitting one spot. Okay. The the front of <laughs> 500 boo yeah. is like you spread out your soldiers and you hit the entire, let's say, west wall at and once. Thinking they can't defend it at all. You'll find some weak spot yeah. is the yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the, either the approacher or the like hit every spot at once tactic. Yeah. Um, let's find out what the approacher is. Okay. <laughs> so the approacher is, yeah. on the one hand, it's probably the most familiar looking siege machine okay. uh, to those of us who are mostly right. steep so in Western stuff. Yeah. yeah. On the other hand, it's just really cool. Okay. Right. So the, the approacher is a moving siege tower, mm -hmm. which is five stories tall. Mm -hmm. uh, there are men in every level. Mm -hmm. The men on the second to top level have large hooked pole arms. To hook into the wall. To hook into the wall. So they can't push you away. Exactly. Okay. The men on the topmost level have uh, spears and halberds already going through the slots on their thing just as you approach. So there's mm -hmm. a wall of spears going toward the enemy wall. Mm -hmm. And of course, when you get there, then the ramp falls down the front and you all charge the wall and yep. hopefully get over it. Yes. Right. 
Uh, and on the way, you know, you're, you're being moved slowly by people who are inside the ground level of the device so that they're pretty heavily protected. Yeah. Yeah. So you bring in the approacher. Now, once again, we get to see our friend the moving wall. The portable wall. Oh, I forgot <laughs> about the moving wall. <laughs> now, the portable wall, if you weren't here for the last episode, listen to it. But it's basically a wall on wagon wheels. You can just slide it into place anywhere Yeah. to present a second wall, like outside of the main wall. Uh, to stop this enemy siege tower. Yeah. So, of course, they start coming in with portable walls. And, mm-hmm. as you remember from last time, portable towers with archers on them. Yep. Now, you might be a little bit more ready for that this time. Yes. So, let's say... Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's say that I prepare caltrips. Oh, I've nice. got caltrips of my own mm. to prevent the the people moving those walls from getting to the position, oh. but I leave a little avenue for me where I want to go. That's really smart. Okay. So so if I'm picturing this right, the idea is that as the portable walls try to move into place in front of you, yeah. the men moving them yeah. are finding themselves trotting upon caltrops. Yeah, which are spiky cylinders. Spiky little or yeah. other kind of shapes, like yeah. jack shape so or whatever. It hurts your feet. It shreds up your feet, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they have a hard time, if not impossible, to move the portable walls in front of you, and you walk through the caltrop-free corridor. Yes. It's a really good tactic. I like it. I'm going to say that at least a, a, a good number mm-hmm. of your approachers okay. are going to get through because of that. Okay. Uh, because past the portable wall line. Uh-huh. Now, this does throw a, a kink in Grandmaster Mel's plan, uh-huh. um, because with... He, ge- the- he gives me one raised eyebrow. <laughs> That's the most I've been able to inflict upon him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. With the portable towers and the portable walls, Grandmaster Mo has also dispensed teams with battering rams. I want to be clear. Normally, battering rams are used by the attacking yes. army. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, like I said, I gave mm-hmm. them once through of the defensive section of the Moza, right. and I was like, why are they preparing battering rams to defend a city? <laughs> All right, let's find out. Yeah. So normally battering rams are used by an attacking force to uh-huh. break through a gate or something. In this case, he is sending out through some sally port, some yeah. farther down the wall, teams with battering rams protected by crack troops uh-huh. uh, who are meant to rush the approacher towers yeah. and batter the bases of the towers until the entire tower collapses. Oh, God. Now, the whole plan was to block you with the portable walls. Yeah. And then batter you from the sides. Yep. The portable walls have been held up, which means that some of your towers have gotten through the line. Yep. They're approaching the actual city wall. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you that. Okay. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this entire approach is so slow uh-huh. that Grandmaster Mo would open up about 500 feet on either side of the threatened area with archers. Uh-huh. So you're taking heavy arrow fire. Crossbow fire. Sorry, crossbow fire, yes. Yep. And... Uh, he has gigantic flails and picks that are used to knock men off the ramp as they try to uh, disembark the approachers under the wall. Sure, of course so a small number of towers do get through to the wall before being battered from the sides. Uh, unfortunately, very few men make it under the wall alive. Mm-hmm. But I can raise them from the dead and just have a skeleton army, right? I would definitely try that next. That's, <laughs> that's probably your best bet. Okay. <laughs> Did I just fail? Do I have to gong again? I'm afraid that you may have just failed. Okay. But wait, I have something to, to yeah. tell you. I hate the arrogance of this guy who thinks he can just keep giving me these homilies. (laughs) So you hear the voice of Grandmaster Mo, who I'm assuming is perched on an arrow that is shooting over the approacher as it topples from a battering ram team. (laughs) Of course he is. (laughs) He says, taunting me. 
Does your ruler know how you conduct your affairs? Does he know the count of men and horses you have lost? Does he know the count of shields and arrows you have wasted? Does he know the count of spears, long spears, halberds, crossbows, and swords that will never return to his armory? Does he know how many dough of food you have consumed for nothing? Does he know this and approve of your conduct, or have you fooled him? Answer me, are you the duplicitous servant of a wise ruler, or are you merely the faithful servant of a dog? <laughs> what does that fail, like, number five, six? It's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> so I believe that takes you... got to admire my tenacity. <laughs> you do have tenacity. <laughs> okay, so... It's this is so cool to see the sense that you made of all this because <laughs> the other things that are in like there, there's like whole chapters that are only preparations in the text without explaining what's going to be done with these preparations. So looking at that, I was right. like, why are they gathering all this brushwood? <laughs> and that seems like a liability if the enemy like incoming flaming arrows can exactly. just light your whole city on fire. Right. Also, like, why are you drilling holes in the wall? <laughs> And that seems like a liability. Yes. Why are you... All these things, right? The battering rams, but now it's making sense. <laughs> so that brings you down to, I believe, eight days. Yep. You do have the remaining choice to okay. uh, make a front 500 boo wide. Okay. If I fail this, do I just fail permanently? That's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Well, I guess I'll do the front 500 boo wide. <laughs> Since that's what's left. <laughs> I think we're in a real battle. You could just try a different deck again or tweak the approachers or like, you know, you yeah. but just to keep right. it interesting, we're going to not repeat things. Right? Obviously. Yeah. So, um. Let's do the cloud ladders again. <laughs> over and over and <laughs> Just keep rolling that die, you know. <laughs> yep. Eventually you'll get the 10 that you want or yep. whatever. So the front uh, 500 boo wide. So this is a little bit interpretive because, uh, in one section, Grandmaster Mo talks about the, how many people you should have on the wall to defend if the army, if the evading army attacks the entire wall at once, depending on how long the wall is. So mm -hmm. Different measurements require different numbers of people. Okay. The largest one he gave was 500 feet wide. Or sorry, 500 boo wide, which is 2,500 feet, roughly a half mile. Half mile. That oh, something, a little less than a kilometer, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, something a little, like a little bit less than a kilometer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So a pretty substantial front that you're presenting at the enemy. Yeah. Now, he prescribes mm -hmm. what you should do with this. And this is the best thing, is that there are so many sections of the the, the section of the text about yes. defensive warfare that specify these XYZ people should not be allowed on the walls. Only soldiers are allowed on the walls. Okay. Support crew are not allowed on the walls. Okay. Civilians are not allowed on the walls. Okay. Uh, relatives coming to visit a soldier are not allowed on the walls. Yes. All these places. But there must be an exception to that because... If there is enough enemy activity at the walls, you bring in civilian squadrons to defend the walls. Okay. Because all they really have to do is just throw rocks down on the people in the mm -hmm. enemy, right? Yeah. Um, they don't have to be great archers or anything. So his recommendation is that if the enemy presents a front of 500 boo, mm -hmm. you should have 1,000 men, mm -hmm. 2,000 women, mm -hmm. and 1,000 old people and children on the wall holding the wall. Ruthless. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Every single person inside this city is expected to be a resource for the defense. And if they say no, they get killed, right? In, in some cases, their entire family gets killed, depending on oh the circumstance. Okay. Yeah. There's okay. like family-wide wipeouts as retaliation for... Not re I shouldn't say retaliation. As official punishment that would be codified and that you would be aware of. Mm -hmm. uh, at one point, Mozu, very early on, he says, your rewards should be well-known and generous 
and your punishments should be sufficiently intimidating. Okay. <laughs> and they are definitely sufficiently intimidating. That's a, 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 one of the most effective understatements of all history. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sufficiently intimidating. Right. So he's very carrot and sticking. I mean, we talked earlier about he's kind of like leftist in some yep. ways, but he is not a hippie. He is very no. much like, yeah, if somebody doesn't do their job, you just execute them and be done with it. A little bit Stalin-y. Yeah. Or maybe Maui. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So you confront a wall that rapidly fills up with 1,000 men, 2,000 women, and 1,000 old people and children. They do have a height requirement for the children. If you're below a certain height, you can't be on the wall, but you can be support staff below the wall. Oh, okay. So I think it's like four feet, maybe. I don't know what age that is, but yeah, anyway. Um, Ten-year-olds and above, basically. They're tall enough to ride this ride. So (laughs) they are throwing rocks, and of course, like the actual soldiers firing arrows. I ran the numbers on this. Yeah. Uh, With that many people on a wall that's that wide, Yeah. that is one people every 1.6 feet. One person every 1.6 feet. Feet. Defending the wall. Okay, which which is like half a meter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which means that basically that's more people than you can literally fit on the rampart. That's more than, like... Yeah. So I'm picturing that it's like one person throwing a rock down. When they reach back to get another rock, the next person jumps in and throws a rock. And it's like... Or maybe is handing it to them. Handing it to them. Yeah. Okay, so they're just... Or accounting for losses so that when one person drops, the next person takes their place. The walls are thick with these people. Thick with people. Okay. So... That sounds like a perfect opportunity for me to use an area of effect tactic. Yeah, you should definitely. If so, only like giant rockets were invented yet, like they would be four hundred years from now. Yeah, or I or I could do my own smoke them out kind of tactic. Smoke, smoke rises. Yeah. Right. Or I could have some kind of like uh, a rolling spiky thing that I I roll along the wall and knocks <laughs> right, them all right. off. Yeah. Yeah. Don't don't use Moism for attack. Come on, <laughs> it's strictly defensive power. Okay. No, no, no. Actually, I like that. I'm so learning, I, I think the smoke thing would work. Yeah. You know, it would be very helpful. Yeah. I don't know how it works with the chaos of like your own guys trying to charge into the opening and there's still smoke or whatever. Yeah. But what I'm going to go ahead and give this to you, okay. right? Because it's hard to defend a wall that's freaking half mile wide uh-huh. against an entire army at once. Yeah. By Master Mo's uh, calculations. Your ranks are only four deep because mm-hmm. you've spread them so wide. But I don't know how big your army is. Right. Maybe five deep. Right. Whatever. So I'm going to give you this. I'm going to say eventually, Grandmaster Mo would not agree with this. He has plans for how to defend against this. But mm-hmm. I would say eventually you do manage to get some point where you manage to get over the wall or destroy the wall or whatever, mm-hmm. break a sally yep. port, and you overrun the outer wall. Yes. Which means that the Moa strategy would be that they would they would fall back to the inner, to the city wall. Mm-hmm. Now, between you and that city wall is a moat. Great. Yes. Did I forget to take swimming as a skill? You definitely <laughs> did not take swimming as a skill. So you have overcome the outer walls. Okay. Nice work. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Little victories. It's, it's a little, it's a small thing. So yeah. make a difference sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I write back to my master. <laughs> <laughs> so this leaves you with the third and final area that you would have to assail to take this city. Okay. Now to remind you, on the clock, you have eight days left before uh-huh. you believe that another army could come and try to relieve the siege. Well, I've made it this far in one third of the time. That mm. yeah, Well, a little more than one third, right? Right. I have eight days left, right? You have eight so days left. So a little left. less than half the time I need. Yes. I'm confident. I, I think your confidence is well-placed. <laughs> I think many princes and barons of the Warring States era would feel good about where you are right now. Okay. Yeah. 
I don't know if my master is as confident in me as, as I am. Well, is but... he an agriculturalist? Because if, if so, you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> and He's he... like, but how many turnips did you produce? <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> oh. I need radishes, darn it. <laughs> I only get XPs for the number of turnips I pull out of this city. <laughs> You've killed like a hundred guys. You get no XP. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you get a bale of spinach. Yeah, no like, experience points for this. Yeah. So uh, the city wall. Yeah. So in between you and the city wall is a dry moat. It's a deep trench that is not filled with water. Yeah. And beyond that that dry moat is uh, the city wall itself. Mm-hmm. It's probably about 17 feet high, mm-hmm. made of earth, packed earth, which has mm-hmm. been sealed to be water and fire resistant, with a curb of actual solid stone construction along the bottom, and possibly some brick facing on the outside. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I side note, I'm still not clear. I was... Tr- I, the... Resources I read about this kind of like defensive fortification construction mm-hmm. referenced how the Great Wall was an outgrowth of this period of extreme expansive fortifications. But uh, I yeah, still okay. cannot get a definite answer on is the Great Wall, as I always imagined, made of solid masonry? Uh-huh. Or is it as these defenses are really just an earth embankment with a brick facing on the outside? I have not gotten an answer. If anybody knows, uh, email us. Good question. Well, I know that it was like redone and redone and redone, but I don't know. Like, so now it's concrete, but I don't. Well, or stone, <laughs> but I don't know if it goes all the way to the center of it. Right. Yeah. That way, is it the same all the way along the length That's of it? A good Probably point. not. Yeah. You know, etc. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you now have a new menu of choices. Huh. Uh, and we'll just... read off the titles. You don't know what all these are. I know that your general obviously know what these are. But for interest, you, Brandon, yeah. I'm not going to give big explanations to each one. Okay. Just choose. Yep. So, battering rams at the gate. Firebomb the gatehouse. Rain flaming death on their houses. The ant approach, which has worked for you before. Right. Which is mass infantry assault on one On a area. section of wall. Yeah. The sheep's bank ramp. The Tunnel Master, or Weaponize the Rivers. Weaponize the Rivers for sure. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, okay. God, yes. There are... Wait, what is Weaponize the Rivers? <laughs> <laughs> Playing uh, Jeopardy now. They, there, is, uh, there are rivers near the city. Mm-hmm. Um, your engineers believe that they could build a series of dikes around the outside of the city wall and moat. Mm-hmm. And then... Dig a channel to one of the rivers, thus diverting the river to flow down the channel and fill the the moat and then fill the gap between your dike on your side and the city wall on the other side. Wait, I'm only filling the moat with water, which is only more of an obstacle to me, right? Oh, but wait for it. Okay. As the water level rises, yes. and if you let an outlet channel to the other side so that there's a current in the river, uh-huh. what's going to happen is that the current is going to pull away soil from the wall and erode it until the entire flooded, waterlogged city wall collapses. That's all going to happen within eight days. Yeah. Okay. I don't have to wait, like, eons for the Grand Canyon to form or they, something. They estimate four days. Okay. So that's that's going to use up a lot of my time. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do it. All right, all right. Yeah. Okay. So, you begin the, the building of this great yes. attack yes. weapon. Moza will not have thought of this. He definitely didn't think of this. So, the enemy, as you do this, seems strangely calm. Hmm. The waters rise and rise. The enemy seems to know exactly when the waters are getting deep enough to pose a threat. 
You may not know it, but they have wells with measuring tiles in them, so they know exactly how high the water is in relation to the outside of the wall. Before it gets too high, their workers come out and dig narrow drainage channels in the walls. The water drains away smoothly, almost as if they had tiled drainage systems in place on the far side of their city wall that whisks the water away to low-lying ground. <laughs> so they begin to relieve the water. Uh-huh. I'm assuming you keep raising the water level regardless. Well, yeah. I use oh. the ant approach of water. Of water. Yes. The, the water ant approach. Yes. Yes, I, I approve. So... You build your dikes higher. I mean, they might be able to relieve some of the water. Mm-hmm. They can't relieve all of it. Eventually, they're going to run out of places to put water. Yeah. And it's it's going to build up. Yeah. Right? As the water rises, they begin to launch squadrons of boats. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> How did they have boats prepared? <laughs> so. No, I remember. You did say prepare oh, yeah, boats. Definitely so prepare like, boats. Why do you? Yeah. Just in case. I also get the sense that with the kind of manpower he's assuming these large cities have, that they can build these boats overnight if they need to. If it takes two days for you to build a dike, they've built their hundred boats during that time. So each squadron has 20 heavily armored tank boats with elite troops. Oh, the tanks! Yes! The tank boats. Yeah, because in the text it just says tanks. Tanks, And I'm like, what are these? Right, no, tank boats, yep. And 10 floating siege towers. Each, each floating siege tower is built atop two boats lashed together. That sounds together. unsteady. It does. If only you could get an approacher up there to, uh, yeah. a floating approacher to knock it over. Yeah. The archery towers provide cover fire while the tank boats approach your dike. You try to return fire, but the men aboard the tank boats wear very heavy armor. A dangerous choice for a mariner. These men must okay. be almost suicidally brave. So brave, it's almost as if as Master Mo recommends, their families must have been taken hostage so that they perform their duties reliably. Oh, God. So these men know, if I don't perform Fishes. out here, my entire family will be killed. Oh, God. Okay. Heavy armor on boats. These yeah. are Marines coming at you. Uh-huh. Now, here's my question for you, Brendan. You have a choice here. Do you abandon the dikes or do you try to hold them? Obviously hold them. Okay. You rush troops toward the threatened section of dike, but it turns out that the tower boats are not the only thing supporting the assault. From across the flooded area, gigantic siege ballistas on the city walls themselves launch 10-foot-long bolts. These bolts lay into the men rushing to aid your defenders on the dike. They particularly target any defensive machines of your own, Uh such as portable walls to block the Marines' path. Uh The Marines have heavy hacking weapons, Wait, are able to lay into the dikes. Can I mm-hmm. can I uh, put some men under the water, like breathing through bamboo tubes, but who have like uh, like sharpened bamboo sticks? So like if they it. try to swim at me, then they'll get <laughs> skewered. I I think you can definitely do that. Okay. Unfortunately, they bring the boats close to the dike, so uh-huh. they don't even get over the water. Oh. And they use hacking implements to break a hole in the dike. Ah. Oh. Breaking holes and causing the water to drain out. Oh. Okay. I have to tell you that you hear the voice of Grandmaster Mo. This is like one of those awful math experiments that's like, <laughs> if you have a faucet running and the sink drains at this rate, how long will it take before the Moists defeat you? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Grandmaster Mo says, Ha! Who do you think propitiates the spirits of the rivers and the mountains? 
Who do you think has performed the rituals for the spirits of the East, West, North, and South? Who do you think has shamans living as spirits on the soil altar and offerings made to the rivers? You come here without understanding virtue and you expect the rivers to aid your cause. Your ruler has made a mistake by promoting you. Ugh. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have made light of the god of walls and ditches. <laughs> and definitely not the god of water. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a chapter in there of like, if the enemy attacks, what sacrifices should you make at the various altars? You yes. know, and like what color do you wear and which yeah. altar do you do it to this I direction? I was considering that implementing direction. all of that in yeah. that taunt, but yeah, it's like it's like six guys with six of these and six pigs and blah yeah. blah blah wearing yeah. this color for the east yeah. and seven for the west. Yeah. Again, they, they the the Moists were all in for the, the whole religious aspect. They yes. were they were big believers. This is also probably a good point to mention information warfare, mm -hmm. because Grimmester Mo specifies that although you definitely need to have um, vapor readers, which I take to be some kind of diviner yes. who read the smoke or some kind of vapor yes. to divine the future, yep. you definitely need to have them, but there's a couple of restrictions. The first one is they report only to the to the, 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 the defender, which is like the head general defending the city. Yep. Um, they don't make their prognostications known to the public. And so you don't any spread of a panic. Yes. Yeah. If any of them are saying terrifying things to draw attention to themselves and to build their own clout, you just put them to death. Mm. Um, the other thing is that the vapor readers are told to publicly announce favorable results every time they do the divination. And Regardless then bring, of whether... No matter what they read. Okay. And then bring the actual results only to the defender. Wow. So if they see that there's a, a bad omen and that's, you know, the west side is going to fall or whatever, mm -hmm. the, the defender knows that. He can make appropriate mm -hmm. plans. But the populace only ever hears positive news from the priesthood, basically. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So what do I got left here? Okay. So you have, uh, I'm afraid, five days now. Okay. Take a long time to build all those decks and everything. Yep. Now you have a few Wait, options. no. I have less than five days. I was at eight days. Nine? And then it took four. Okay. So then you, I guess you would have four. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you have four days left. Yeah. So your, your choices are... Battering rams at the gate, firebomb the gatehouse, rain flaming death on their houses, the ant approach, the sheep's bank ramp. Sheep's bank ramp. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So the sheep's bank ramp is a tactic where you basically just pile up crap until uh -huh. you have a ramp up to the wall. Okay. So this would basically mean uh, if you drain out lots of the, dead bodies. You have a lot of dead bodies. You drain out all the water, uh -huh. right? So the first step is just going to be that you advance men with shields to the edge of the moat. Mm -hmm. And then those men are protecting the people who come up with bundles of brushwood, uh -huh. chunks of firewood, anything that'll just fill up volume. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of times they would use brush because it's lighter and fills up more volume than, say, like gravel or soil. Mm -hmm. And, of course, also buckets of gravel and whatnot. And you're just going to just throw crap into the moat. Until you've got a heap of crap in the moat, and then you mm -hmm. just, like, put, like, planks across it, some dirt, whatever, to be able to cross. Mm -hmm. And you're just going to keep doing the same thing on the far side of the moat, just piling the stuff up yep. and making a ramp all the way to the top. And the key is that at every stage, your men with shields are at the front, so that the people bringing in more stuff to are throw protected. on are somewhat protected. Yeah. Right. Okay. So that's... Cannot that's the... fail. <laughs> now, I have to say that uh, Grandmaster Moe's first advice on how to deal with this is just to just concentrate arrow fire on you guys. Mm-hmm. Which seems pretty obvious, and I would assume you'd be preparing for that, mm -hmm. right? You do have shields. Sure. But he also I'll give them, like, special, you know, like those cone hats that you see in the east? Oh, yeah. Right. I'll, I'll make those, but give them an extra layer of shielding. Like a shield cone hat. 
Yeah, so they're wide enough that each person's hat also protects partly the person next to them, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're not going to get sunburned. And they're not going to get sunburned either. Which means they won't be the dark, like they're right. always too labor in the sun all day. Right. So this is your first mistake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Grandmaster Mo also feels, however, mm-hmm. that in addition to arrow fire, this is a good time to trot out the joined crossbow. Mm. Don't like that. I I love this one. This I, this could be. It's hard to say. This could be my favorite Joe uh-huh. Punk uh, u- utensil. Uh, <laughs> this is a <laughs> this is a tower like carriage, uh-huh. which contains oversized crossbows. Uh huh. Each of the crossbows are stacked vertically on top of one another. They are all linked to a single firing mechanism. Do they all fire at once. Yep. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's all controlled by a single crank. Uh-huh. Uh huh. As you crank it, it draws back all the crossbows. Uh huh. And then fires them all at once. Uh huh. Now, in addition, yes, the entire vertical stack of crossbows is built in such a way that it can be tilted up or down to change the angle of fire. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now these siege crossbows are able to fire a 10-foot-long bolt up to a quarter mile away with accuracy. These are ballistas. It's a stack of ballistas in a tower (laughs) that can tilt. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So um, I was wondering, well, how many crossbows can you stack on top of each other and still make this mechanism work? Grandmaster Mo laid my uh, anxiety at ease. <laughs> he specifically says there is, and I quote, no limit to the number of crossbows <laughs> used in each one. Oh. Basically, as many as you care to stack and attach to the firing mechanism, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, as your men are protecting, like, brushwood bearers mm-hmm. with shields, yep. uh, he recommends placing these in high towers along the wall. Mm-hmm. In some cases, there are towers every 75 feet on this mm-hmm. wall, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just gives you a sense of the scope of, like, how much stuff they can build defensively. Uh-huh. Um, so there's regular towers, and each of these now has a joined crossbow moved into position on top of it. Mm-hmm. They tilt them down, and they start firing. Of course, that's going to rip into your shield line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can be used to just interrupt the flow of people coming with more stuff to sure. throw in. And as that starts to go into chaos, or if you manage to make it far enough where you're actually piling stuff up and and maybe making an advance on the wall, Mm -hmm. he also has a recommendation with their quote-unquote trebuchets, which are really crappy catapults. Um, Well, in the West, a trebuchet is like the best kind of catapult. Yeah, that's why I object to the text translating the word as trebuchet, because what they really are is what's called traction catapult, which on the one hand was super advanced and the Moists invented. They are given credit for inventing this device. Okay. And I can kind of believe that because the text describes how to build this device in extraordinary detail. Mm-hmm. And most of the other ones, it just is like, yeah, use these. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like they were explaining how to build one, and other devices, they just assumed you already knew how to build them. So the most are given credit for inventing the traction catapult. What the traction catapult is, is it doesn't have a, a torsion uh, element to it. There's not like okay. a, a spring-loaded or tight element that causes the uh, arm to fling up. Okay. Instead, the arm is just hit, sitting there, yeah. and you put the whatever you're going to launch into it. 
And then, like, anywhere between, like, 12 and 100 guys all yank on ropes at the same time. Okay. And the ropes just, like, pull the lever up. They just oh. pull the arm up. So it's just the combined like arm strength of 100 guys just yanking at the same time launches the arm, and it fires the, the quote-unquote trebuchet. Okay. So you yeah. can get it over a wall, but you're not going to launch it, like, hundreds of yards. Actually, it had considerable range. I don't know how it stacks up with, like, a torsion catapult. Okay. Um, it had quite a bit of range, enough where it could be used both in assaulting a, a city or defending one over the wall at great distances. It's just mostly manpower intensive, mm-hmm. you know? So, on the one hand, it's a simpler device. You can build them quickly, and if you have spare manpower, sure, sure put 30 men in each catapult, you have all the catapults you want. But on the other hand, it's like, if you were short on manpower, you yeah. wouldn't benefit so much. Right. Any case, he only needs a few in this case because uh, he has a special munition that he's going to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a hollowed out section of log, which has been loaded with charcoal mm-hmm. uh, or, or like burning embers mm-hmm. and lit up. And then that fires and it lands in and around the brushwood pile that you've been using to make the sheep spank ramp. Mm-hmm. Igniting the sheep spank ramp and also causing tremendous amount of smokes because it's brushwood, which is very smoky to burn. Uh-huh. So even if it doesn't actually burn out the ramp, your men are just choking if they try to go up there. Right. Yeah. So I'm afraid that the sheep spank <laughs> ramp did not work. Oh, by the wayside. Oh, but wait. But wait, you hear the voice of Grandmaster Mo. Ha! The sheep spank ramp is a clumsy attack. It exhausts your own men before they can even attack. Its only advantage is to terrify an undisciplined enemy. Why would you expect it to work against a city with law and order? Why would you expect it to work against an army with discipline? Do you not know that if a single one of our soldiers leaves his post, props his halberd against a wall, picks up a letter from the enemy, praises the enemy's strength, or expresses fear of the coming attack, he is immediately put to death? We have trained our soldiers. Perhaps you should resign your post and let your horse lead your army. Ah. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> maybe i should let the horse lead maybe <laughs> so that okay. great expenditure of resources and time brings you down to three days left i thought there was no i thought you were being just ridiculous and giving me 14 days and only taking me <laughs> away one day each time right right yeah okay so i, I have to say too i just made up these these yeah, I know. time numbers yeah. i imagine it's... it could take like 120 days or like you know like we're gonna spend sure. two weeks building dikes or whatever right. but yeah yeah okay so, what are my options left? Okay. You've got battering rams at the gate, firebomb the gatehouse, rain flaming death on their houses, uh, the ant approach, take two, mm-hmm. or the tunnel master. The tunnel master. The tunnel master it is. And we're, we're at about 50 minutes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we probably won't be able to get through all of those. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've only got three days left anyway. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the tunnel master. Yeah. So you do have a uh, siege engineer mm-hmm. on your staff who is skilled at engineering tunnels. Mm-hmm. He believes that you could tunnel under the dry moat and outer wall mm-hmm. and burrow out a cavity beneath the wall, mm-hmm. of course, supported by a wooden beam so it doesn't collapse on your diggers. Sure. And then once it's in place, you would just evacuate everyone and torch it. Mm-hmm. The wooden supports burn, Mm -hmm. the tunnel collapses, and when it collapses, the wall above it will also collapse, creating a gigantic hole you can charge through. Can't fail. Can't fail. Your men set to. They start digging. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait. Yes. I'm I'm learning. Yeah. Right? So I got to take some kind of measures against them cloud killing me again. Right? Okay. Okay. So I don't want them to smoke me out 
right? Mm -hmm. So I am going to give my men uh, sheep's bladders uh, connected to tubes made of sheep's entrails because I've got so many sheep carcasses left over from the sheep attack. <laughs> Which involved no sheep. Yeah, so the, the tubes will lead to the outside so they have a source of fresh air. Okay. And the bladders are there to kind of give them an extra little store that they could breathe through. So every man has a an air bladder. Yeah. Or okay. at least enough that they could take turns breathing out of it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. I, I in the spirit of Joe Punk, I strongly approve and I say <laughs> that these are issued to your men and they are psyched. They they okay. raise their goggles and inspect uh -huh. the sheep bladders and are psyched about uh -huh. this. Okay. So you start digging. Your, okay. your tunnelers go down. Mm-hmm. You take every possible precaution. Uh, soil is taken away far behind the lines to be mounded up where it can't be seen behind tree line and tree cover. Mm -hmm. um, you have extra outriders out to prevent any scouts from seeing what you're doing. As your diggers start to get under the moat and mm -hmm. approach the wall, you hear a humming noise. Mm. What? Mm. <laughs> What's that? So... Do they have a warp core? The the humming almost seems to be just the same, like, just as often as each blow of a pick would be underground. Uh, okay, so they got counter tunnelers. So, well, the Moists have placed into the masonry of their wall mm -hmm. hollow clay pots, which have a, like, cowhide stretched over the top of them. Okay. So that there are drums every 30 feet built into the masonry of the wall. Oh, God. Which means that whenever there's a slight tremble uh -huh. that shakes the wall that a human ear would never detect. It's it amplified. It vibrates the drum. And they can hear that and I'm they digging. they can hear the, a oh. warning call. The tunnelers are coming. Oh, God. Now, in addition, <laughs> they have very regular wells every so many feet behind the wall to support the troops, uh -huh. right? And when they hear the walls humming, they yeah. place one of these, what they call them hydrophones, one of these like clay things with a stretch, basically a drum, uh -huh. down 30 feet into the well. That's what that And they is. have the men with the best hearing from the entire city uh -huh. will come and take turns laying above the well listening. And so if you have wells every 30, 50 feet, based on which ones are vibrating the most, you can actually tell the angle of attack that the tunnelers are taking under the wall. Uh-huh. Yep. So they know where your tunnels are going to be. Yep. And they launch their own counter-tunneling effort. Oh, God. Okay. Okay. So, the way the Moas build their tunnels. Yeah. Very tidy. Uh, <laughs> Not surprising. <laughs> yes. Now, you have the disadvantage of you have to take the soil far behind lines and try to, you know, not be obvious that you're tunneling. Uh -huh. They can just keep it up right behind the wall. Uh-huh. Right? And they they rapidly tunnel in. They create nice, nicely supported... Uh, tunnels with with wooden mm -hmm. beams. Mm -hmm. They actually place a stone like curb uh, mm -hmm. or, a, or a support stone like foundation under each wooden vertical. Okay. They have a a, a packed earth a packed earth curb along the sides of the walls. Mm -hmm. Everything is sturdy; it's not going to collapse because mm -hmm. they have the leisure of time. Uh huh. Yeah. And they cut their angle their tunnels in at an angle to your to your tunnels. Okay. And they build in a piping system. Uh huh. They actually lay uh, clay pipes. They seal the joints between every pipe with mortar. Uh -huh. And they have um, furnaces uh -huh. stoked at the entrance of the tunnel uh -huh. with gigantic baskets of balls of dried artemisia. Oh, God, not the yes. artemisia again. Yes. 
But you are prepared. But I get the bladders. You have yep. the bladders. Yeah. Um. So when they break through to your tunnels, uh-huh. the Moists exercise extreme discipline. They never charge into your tunnels to try to attack you. Okay. They only hold their own tunnels. Okay. And then they, the pipes start spewing out Artemisia smoke into your tunnels, and the Moists have gigantic shields, almost like just big pieces of plywood, mm-hmm. that they hold up to block the intersection from their tunnel to your tunnel. Mm-hmm. So that the smoke only goes in yours, and very little of it goes back into their own tunnels. Uh-huh. Yeah. And because of these big platforms, they're able to hold the tunnel intersections while pumping smoke in. Uh-huh. Now, normally I would have said this is where you just lose. <laughs> but you have outfitted your men with special yes. breathing bladders. Okay. And breathing tubes, conceivably. Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to say that you do not start choking to death from the gas. Okay. But your men are very well blinded by all the smoke. Fair enough. And so they try a few times, maybe, to fumble their way toward the Moist tunnels and, and batter through. It's heavily defended, and the Moist can see and breathe, and the yep. your guys can not see yep. and have limited breathing time. Yep. So I will give you this. Um, your men are able to make it back, mostly alive, <laughs> but the tunnels are just gassed out. You don't feel good about proceeding uh, this line of attack. And I've lost time. You've lost time. It was going to cost you two days. But because you came up with an ingenious strategy, I'm going to say it only cost you one day. Okay. Yeah. So you so have two days, two days left. Yeah. Oh, okay. wait. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, more? Yeah. Oh, just just wait. So, Grandmaster Mo says, Yep. Ha. Why would you expect that the earth would work on your behalf when it is we who tend the soil altar? Your soil altar has been left without your attention at home, and yet you expect the earth to give you favors? Your parents must have failed you or you would know that a tunnel engineer is a poor substitute for piety. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> I've never loved failing more. <laughs> I've never got to gloat evilly this often. <laughs> in, in a row. <laughs> yes. That, that also outdoes the entire sum of all my gloating in all my life. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, I've got two you days left. Two okay. days left. Here's your choices. Yep. Battering rams at the gate, firebomb the gatehouse, rain flaming death on their houses, or the ant approach, yep. take two. Not not the ant approach. It's boring. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We got limited time here. Right. I'm gonna say firebomb their houses to last is just kind of like my dick move at the end. <laughs> so what was the very first one? Battering rams. Yeah, I think he's gotta do it. Okay, well, Okay, so two fire attacks is going to be a little much. So I'll go with the batting rounds. Okay, okay. Yeah. So the bat- <laughs> So the there's a dry moat between uh-huh. you and the gatehouse. Okay. And there is a bridge over the moat, mm-hmm. which is there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's not like a drawbridge. Yeah. So there's a bridge literally over yeah. the moat. So across this bridge is the main gatehouse, mm-hmm. which has all kinds of things on it that I won't take the time to describe because they're just really arcane and hard to understand. Uh-huh. I, some of them I have not deciphered myself. Like, why would you have two holes with two lids and a four-foot rope from one hole? I don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. Anyway, all your men have to do is charge over the bridge with men in front raising shields, mm-hmm. men behind them bringing battering rams, get to the gate area, and just start smashing the gate. Yeah, I'm going to give them breathing tubes. I'm going to give them... Uh, I'm going <laughs> to put extra, like, fire retardant kind of stuff on the top, like, protecting them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <sighs> <laughs> so they now have a I'm full even, inventory. I'm, I'm bringing mosquito coils, even. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
like thinking outside the box. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> and this is what happens. Okay. They start charging over the bridge. Um, the, the the defenders of the city do? Or no, I, your, men. your men with the better men and the shields okay. are charging over yes. the bridge toward yes. the gatehouse. Yes. They make it about halfway across. Yeah. Uh, and the bridge just, just kind of goes, boop, and just kind of like, it's a trapdoor bridge. So what? the entire bridge just flips up, and all of your men and battering rams go screaming down into the dry moat, which the bottom of which is covered with spikes Spiking uh, on different but, alternate, yeah. uh, you know, like different angles. Oh. Some are short, some are long. Uh-huh. So they all just like, <laughs> just pile into the spikes and dead. Dead <laughs> All right, and I'm going to say that that uses up all of my bladders and and all and your, your bladder lips exactly, yes. yeah. And that would also bring you down to just just one day remaining. Uh, let me see if I have any taunts left for you. <laughs> um, you didn't think oh. I'd make it this far? <laughs> okay, yeah, I do. I have I have a great uh, taunt for you, actually. Okay. If a <laughs> Grandmaster Mo says, if a horse tramples a man, it is the horse that is blamed. But if a man strikes a horse and is trampled, it is the man that is blamed. You have struck our city, and now you have been trampled. Who will your men blame for this catastrophe? That guy. <laughs> that, I mean, that guy. He made that call. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, one day left. Okay. You've got two choices left. I mean, the city, you've, 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 you've really battered its defenses, right? You're yeah. down to the main gate at this point. Right. It's the boss uh, and so you, you have the ant approach left, or you said you were planning on using the uh, flaming death in their houses approach. Yeah, that's my dick move. I'm going to leave my mark. Okay. Before I go home. Great. Home so, just might be the underworld. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have a giant organized effort. Catapults. Flaming arrows, mm-hmm. trebuchets, ballistas, everything launching incendiary ammunition possible. They, they've got, like, tons of brushwood that they've, you know, piled up inside for right. their use. I'm going to try to light it on fire. Exactly. And smoke them out with their own weapon. Yes. Yes. So you just start launching these flaming projectiles over the walls. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's what happened. Unbeknownst to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> inside the wall, uh, a swath 250 feet deep past the city wall has had all houses demolished. Uh-huh. Literally, they were taken for Jesus. their stones to use in throwing on your faces when uh-huh. you climb the wall. Okay. And every citizen is expected to contribute literally their house. All uh-huh. their timbers, all their stones. They get a receipt, which after the siege... <laughs> An IOU? They do. And after like the siege, they can redeem it for yeah. an equivalent amount of construction material to rebuild their homes. Oh, they don't even get it constructed for them? I doubt it. He oh, didn't okay. specify, but yeah. I don't think that's probably a thing. Okay. So, uh... Please the majority of the area where your flaming projectiles are falling yeah. just has nothing. Uh, and there's actually the first 150 uh, okay. feet is just a road inside the wall that's used for moving stuff around. Okay. Um, now, there are some buildings, necessary offices and barracks that have to be close to the wall. They have been thoroughly coated in mud so that they are flame retardant. Mm-hmm. And of course, some of your projectiles do make it far enough to reach the houses that are still standing farther in the city. Mm-hmm. But this does not provoke chaos. Because Grandmaster Mo has ordered <laughs> that any person who allows a fire to spread will be put to death along with their family. Uh-huh. So if you see a fire, you are like, I'm putting that sucker out. Yep. So everybody who sees any fire immediately gets to work with earth or water or whatever they can. There's wells every like 50 feet trying to put it out. Mm-hmm. And there's not even that much disorder because all the citizens are assigned to their respective districts of the city. 
and they know that you cannot pass between districts without uh, official permission. If you do, you'll be put to death or at least detained. So nobody's running, panicking. They all know, like, if I go anywhere, I'm screwed. If I let the fire spread, I'm screwed. My job is to put out the fire. Right. And so most things don't burn. The few things that do burn don't provoke panic and are put out relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. So you spend all day just launching projectiles over this thing, and you keep waiting to see giant plumes of smoke, chaos, etc. Mm -hmm. The soldiers on the walls being sent down to help with fire uh, duty. Yep. It just doesn't happen. Ah. Yeah. How is this possible? Well... <laughs> yeah yeah and i i regret to inform you that indeed as your as your scouts had oh as they had suggested based on their intel nearby cities have managed to raise an army in these two weeks and get it no! into the area so you quickly find yourself with a, an entire army the same size as yours but fresh not worn out like yours is arriving behind you while the defenders in the city begin opening sally ports to pour their troops out and you are caught between the two armies. Mm. And in your last moments, Brandon, you hear the voice of Grandmaster Mo. Wait, wait. I want to do. Yes. I want to do an evil like. If I can't have it, no one can. <laughs> and like, somehow I'm just gonna like, I'll, I'll, I'll like blow us all up. Like the city, <laughs> my army, myself, everybody. <laughs> just <laughs> with, just the, like with the leftover the firecrackers. Firecrackers. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Just for that purpose. The voice you hear says. How could you do us this disservice? First you bungle slowly and inefficiently through our lands. Then you seek to borrow our food, when you know full well it has been put up for defensive rations. You disgraced your ruler by attacking a target you knew you could not take. You came seeking land, and now your own lands lie untended at home. You came seeking treasure, and now your ruler's treasury is empty. At no point have you practiced virtue or listened to the wisdom of the sage kings. And after all of this... You weigh even further on our hospitality? Can your ruler not do his own work? Why is it that executing you for incompetence is now our errand to perform? Oh, God. <laughs> and I do. I just... When they give me my last <laughs> words... just go yeah, off. When I give, they give me my last words before they chop off my head, I just give, like, a great big middle finger to everybody. <laughs> And then my firecrackers, having gotten soggy because Moza <laughs> predicted this and like doused me with water, doused you with water, right? right. Uh, they yeah. just kind of sputter and go out. Yeah. So <laughs> I realized that we're uh, out of time for the episode. I yeah. planned a little post mortem debrief uh -huh. on like how realistic these plans are. Okay, why? Well, okay, we can go into a little bit. Okay, a little bit. Okay, I got I have my own questions. Yes, actually. please. Okay, go for so it. first of all. What happened to the hanging spleens? Because oh, when, yeah, when you right, and right. I met to first discuss how we were going to do this, we yeah. just kind of randomly turned to a page and right. like suddenly it was like, hanging, hanging spleens, spleens, what are those? And the description was not real clear. Yeah. 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 So those actually, if you had ended up using the ant attack uh, second time. Oh, because um, that was my next question is what would have happened if I'd used that? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So they would have used the, uh, they had a variety of things to use against the ant sure. attack. Actually, most of So once again, this is massed infantry assault. Yes, mass okay. infantry assault, kind of just throwing everything at one point in the wall, yep. like a swarm of ants. Yeah, Mozu says that it's actually a very ineffective tactic. Um, Not kind of a tactic of desperation. Yeah, um, and relatively easy to defend against, even though it would seem to be overwhelming. Sure, a lot of his defenses seem to rely on the idea that you have. Um, not that you necessarily have everything that I just trotted out, planned out, and ready, mm -hmm. but just that you have enough order and foreplanning that if they try X, Y, Z. 
your officers can exhibit calm and confidence that, like, we have a plan for XYZ. Okay. Which means your men are not panicking as a sheep's mm-hmm. bank ramp is being piled up toward the wall. Or your men are not panicking as 10,000 men rush one section of wall. Sure. Right? Because they can see the confidence and that there's a plan. Yeah. In any case, they would have used the hanging spleens against the sheep's... Sorry, against the mast uh, and attack. Mm-hmm. Or against several other attacks, including potentially the cloud ladders. Okay. The, sh- the spleen... <laughs> what, what is it called? The hanging spleen. Yeah. The hanging spleen, after rereading the section a number of times, yeah. looking at the commentary, the translator's notes, what I gather is that even though it says spleen, it's not like a soft sack. Okay. Right? It's a hanging basket or armored enclosure, which would be lowered by several men okay. um, who are in charge on the wall of raising and lowering it. Mm-hmm. And it is like death penalty if they abandon their post. Like sure. if, if everybody else around them is dead and fleeing, they are the last men down because you have to man the spleen. Yeah. So man the spleen. Man the spleen. <laughs> so they would lower the spleen down toward the swarm of ants who are now scaling the walls. Mm-hmm, my man. Um, exactly. And the man inside, with a double-edged lance, would basically be able to, from a protected position, just spear any man who got above a certain height. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously, they could try to take him down. They might succeed. But if that happened, they would just raise the spleen and throw some other sucker in there. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that sounded like the most unrealistic, <laughs> what the F kind of, I'm going to hang you in a right. spleen and give you a stick sharpened on both ends and good luck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh my god. Okay. Well, yeah. that that's a pretty fair job of making sense of that. I'll give you yeah, that. Yeah, that seems to be what it was. With some kind okay. of raising and lowering basket with a man with a double edged lance. Okay. So my last my last question then is so everything that we went through, mm-hmm. and I think it was fair on your part to treat it this way. Right, right, right. But it assumes that they've got unlimited resources within the city, right? Yeah. But also, to be fair, you gave me unlimited resources. I didn't run out of men, right. you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I feel yeah. like, like any textbook, and as a former teacher, I'm quite familiar with this, like, there's a level of, of theory that doesn't always play through in actual practical yeah. life. So Exactly. But still, it gives us a really... Oh my god, a really good sense of just the deviousness yes. of these defenses. Yes. It's just it's just so different from just like, yeah, you need a lot of men with a lot of weapons. It's like right. you need those, but how are you gonna take the most advantage of the situation? Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna this is what I'm gonna do. I wanna give actually a quote from the book, which is the part that makes me most skeptical. When I read this, I just almost laughed. Like this guy is not a serious tactician. This is not okay. a realistic assessment. Uh-huh. This is going to be the most unrealistic sounding part. Okay. And then I want to talk about why I actually think a lot of this is realistic. Okay. Okay. So basically, uh, one of Grandmaster Mo's disciples asked, uh, you know, how would I defend? Grandmaster Mo said, well, I'll defend against what kind of attack? Mm-hmm. The disciple said, well, you know, here's a bunch of different methods of attack that are in current use. He lists basically everything we just tried. Yep. So, like, may I ask about defense against these 12 things? Oh, is this Chin Hua Li? Uh, yeah, which Google. is, like, yes. s- s- Slippery Sparrow? Slippery Bird. Is slippery Bird. Google, that's what Google Translate <laughs> thinks his name that's, means. That's his name know. forever, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, this is Mozart's most dedicated disciple. Here. Right. Yeah. So, when he asks about how to defend against these 12 yeah. kinds of attack, this is Grandmaster Mo's kind of opening introduction to how to defend. Mm-hmm. He says, My city walls and moats would be in good repair. The instruments of defense prepared. Fuel and grain would be sufficient. Superiors and inferiors would be well disposed towards each other. Mm-hmm. And I would get help from the neighboring feudal lords on the four sides. This is how my defense would be managed. Furthermore, if, although the defender, the general of the defending city, is skillful, 
if the ruler does not use him, meaning, I guess, trust him or actually employ him, yeah. it remains impossible to mount a successful defense. Could also mean um, take his advice. Take his advice, yeah. Which, like, there, hey. yeah, just as a, a quick tangent, there was actually a, a story where a Moist general who was in charge of defending a city, the Lord didn't take his advice and the city was taken. Yeah. And out of honor... The Moist Lord and like 80 of his followers all committed honor suicide. Holy ass. Yes. Wow. They were that committed to defending their cities. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, go on. Right. So if the ruler does not use or trust or take the advice of the defender, he must also be... Oh, if the ruler does use the defender, he must also be capable in defense. If he's not capable and the ruler uses him, then it remains impossible to mount a successful defense. So then the defender must be skillful and the ruler must respect and use him. Only then can there be a successful defense. Now, he goes on from here. I'm just going to say that right there. So you're saying, well, to defend the city, all there'd be plenty of fuel, plenty of food, all the defenses right. would be prepared in advance. All the men would be well disposed yeah. toward each other. Right. And the ruler and the defending general get along really well. <laughs> like, that's a lot of things that you just can't assume. So right. he's just right off the bat. He's like, well, for starters, all this. For starters, I have perfect ideal conditions. Everything's ideal. Yes. Right. And so when you when you read this, it's just sort of like, all right, well, I don't believe anything that's going to follow, uh-huh. right? Because you're not going to have, you never have ideal conditions. Right. But I'd put two caveats on there. First of all, he doesn't then say, if you don't have all these conditions, it's impossible to defend. Right. It's just like, this is, for starters, how I'd want things to be. Right. And secondly, if you're literally administering your state in the most way, a lot of those conditions would be met. Yeah. You know, you, you really, you're not just putting together wood and, you know, for fuel and food. You've got a lot of, have a threat. You'd have a lot of natural resources that aren't going to making freaking gongs. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, like literally. Like yeah. you are not, instead of paying an orchestra this much money for a giant festival performance. Yeah. Instead, you're like, why don't we build an extra line of fortifications around the city, even though there's no one threatening us. Mm-hmm. And then when an army shows up, there you go. <laughs> you right. know so it's it's pretty practical if you're taking their philosophy as a whole yes. which obviously would not always be the case yeah so that's the first thing i'd say the other thing is i think if you read through the text you get the impression that grandmaster mo believes that all of these tactics will work every time mm-hmm. the enemy will always be surprised by them and never have a countermeasure i liked that you were actually coming up with countermeasures in the middle of this so i was like <laughs> but i have all this stuff planned no don't don't come up with a way around it right right but of course that's what generals do right but I think that that would be like reading it too literally. Yeah. And the other thing is that like a lo- assuming unlimited resources is, again, if you read it too literally. Yeah. Because if you go into this thing, I mean, literally there's a tower every 75 feet <laughs> on every layer of defense. Right. Now, given that they have fast growing bamboo, which is a hard wood, and that their towers are mostly wooden, that's not impossible. You can have a tower every 75 feet. Uh-huh. It's not a stone tower every 75 feet. Yeah. It's still a stretch. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, I, I think that a lot of the stuff is like, if you if you take it literally that every single one of his recommendations is meant to be implemented collectively as, mm-hmm. as a unit, mm-hmm. you're never going to... It's not going to work. Yeah. Like, I mean, you're just never going to have that yeah. happen. Right. But if you're willing to look at this as like, here's a gigantic list of things to cherry pick from mm-hmm. when you're in a defensive situation. Yeah. Oh, you do have a lot of bamboo wood? Have a tower every 75 feet. Right. Oh, you don't? You have more stone? Puts piles of stone every 50 feet so right. you can throw stone down in their faces. You have an overabundance of spleens this season? 
Are you spleened up? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's kind of like, it, it, and a lot of times he'll revisit the same tactic multiple times. So, like, the number of defenses against the anti-tech, he yeah. must mention it, like, 12 times, different ways to defend it. And it's different every time. Uh-huh. Right? So, it's not that you're going to have all of those every single time. It's just that, hey, if you have enough hot sand and boiling water to dump it down for 500 feet in every sure. direction, do it. Right. If you don't, use the joint crossbows. If right. you don't have those, use this other thing, the hanging spleen. Right. If you don't have that, use flails that are right. going to be positioned every 20 feet along the wall. Right? Yeah. So I think you'd want to read it more as like a, I don't know, almost like a, a trap manual. Yeah. You know, like you just right. pick and choose the ones you can use realistically. Yeah. And then a big section of it, too, is about logistics. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important because... If these guys were so valued, which it seems like they were, mm-hmm. for their defensive capability, but I would say that easily 50%, if not more, of their text on defensive warfare is either just literal logistics, mm-hmm. or it's like, how do you, what orders do you use to maintain order in your camp? Yeah, which got pretty organized. There's, there's like yeah. chapters on how they use flags on the inside walls to signal what they need to be brought to the walls and yes. what kind of units to do exactly. this and that. Yeah, it's this gigantic manual. And a lot of it is just focused on like, how do you conduct the defense properly? Mm-hmm. And a huge part of that is based on discipline. Yeah. And I was at first really shocked. Not shocked because I mean, this is military, right? Mm-hmm. But like a little bit taken aback by how many things get a man killed inside the defending city. Sure. Right? It's like if you are in the line of people who are being used as a messenger, and this seemed to be a chain of people who basically play telephone. Every 50 feet, there'd be a person. I'd hear the message. I'd yell it to you. You'd turn around and yell it to the next guy. He'd turn around and yell it to the next guy. And these messages would get transmitted rapidly across the city, much faster than a herald could bring them. And if I fail to transmit the message properly, I'm killed. Okay. Right? And we all know how easy that happens. Right, yeah. Right, yeah. Like, if you bungle the message or you refuse to, which I assume that if you were, like, daydreaming or had a problem or you had to run to the bathroom or something, that could be interpreted as you failed to transmit the message, so you die. (laughs) Uh, Things like if you're an officer and you transmit a message that uh, you didn't have a right to transmit. Right. Death. Yeah. Right? It goes through so many things, including just, like, citizens crossing to a different district of the city without permission. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff like that. It was a very brutal, like, we're going to, I mean, everything was dedicated to, we're going to defend the city. Right. Every citizen is conscripted. Your houses are conscripted. We need your building stones and your wood from your houses. Uh, we bring out, if, if rations are tight, every house brings out all of its food. Mm-hmm. And we're going to take it, collect it all, make mm-hmm. a count of how much there is, and start issuing rations. Mm-hmm. We'll give you a receipt. Mm-hmm. Or we'll pay you in like something that's not food, like silk or gold, mm-hmm. so that you're compensated. Mm-hmm. And Motsu, I mean, being the administrator he is, says like it has to be a fair amount. Just don't just give them scraps because you're conscripting it. Mm-hmm. Like, give them a good amount of gold or silk for their food, which is in short supply. Mm-hmm. But take it. Mm-hmm. And if anybody refuses, if anybody is found hiding food, put to death. The mm-hmm. whole family put to death. Wow. Right. And then every officer in the entire army has at least their wife, if not more family in a hostage building, which mm-hmm. is defended by multiple walls that have broken pottery on the top. So if you try to climb over, it makes a noise. Okay. And so if you, the officer, in any way fail in your duty or uh, turn coat, yeah. your whole family is put to death. Yeah. So that's the system that maintains order inside the city. Uh-huh. On the one hand, very brutal. On the other yeah. hand, from everything I've heard about what it's like inside a besieged city, which is usually just chaos yeah. with thieves and turncoats and people trying to run away and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah. It probably did do the job of maintaining order. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it's hard for us to imagine in our day and age really going to that 
you know, far of lengths. Right. But in the Warring States era. Yeah. 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 And the one thing I will say, too, this isn't clear from the text. At, at a couple points he mentions, like, uh, after the battle's over, when people have been rewarded with treasure and whatever else for their good service, if a family wants to use their treasure to redeem somebody who has committed every crime, they may do so. So I'm not clear that every soldier who has this death sentence is immediately put to death. It mm-hmm. might be the case that you can pay their like death price essentially to, to redeem them and then they are not put to death. Okay. Which that's would be a much more flexible system. Yeah, that's I'm not clear on that. I mean I I'm kind of interpreting because only in a few cases, as he say, must be put to death without pardon. Okay. And most other cases he doesn't say that and he talks about redeeming people who committed a crime. Okay. And obviously if you had your ears pierced with an arrow, it's too late to redeem you. You can't unpierce them. Right. So it seems like maybe they're in a jail and they can be redeemed if you have the money for it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So all in all, I would say um I can believe a lot of this. I think uh-huh. it would be good tactics. I think they were valued for good reason. I think the big thing is that princes of that time favored aggressive warfare. Uh-huh. And there's a reason for that. Because in ancient China, just like in medieval Europe and in most periods of time militarily, the side that's attacking tends to have an advantage over the side that's trying to hold a position or defend. It's very hard to hold a position indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So I think that the Moas made a really good case. Mm-hmm. for why you should make defense so, so costly that it's not even worth doing. And I think that they made a good argument for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that every prince knows that, like, militarily speaking, if you have, if, if, sooner or later, you'll take that city. Mm-hmm. You know, unless you actually are encircled by another army coming to relieve you, yeah, you are going to eventually take that city. Given right. enough time and throwing enough resources at it, you'll take yeah. it. So I think probably the rulers knew that like there is an element of just profit to be had in assert- in aggressive warfare, sure. offensive warfare, and that defensive warfare, although it's beneficial to make it as costly as possible, it's not like the cure-all to war. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think they came up with a lot of great tactics, but I don't think that they... I don't think it would have performed the way Motsu would have liked. It probably wouldn't have stopped Sauron from you know, <laughs> yes. spreading across the, the Shire and yeah. everywhere else. Yeah, exactly. But nevertheless, it would have made for a very good uh, story with a lot of epic last stands. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Great. And I will say as my final closing comment, uh, my dream ever since first hearing about Moism has been simply to make a Kung Fu movie. Kung Fu style movie, which is about this. It's about <laughs> a city that has come under attack. Uh-huh. They have a chance to smuggle in and they kidnap and smuggle in a single Moist scholar mm-hmm. as their last hope. Mm-hmm. When the Moa scholar comes to inside the city in captivity, uh-huh. they tell him, we need you to defend the city. Wait, is this another sequel to Escape from New York with Kurt Russell? <laughs> <laughs> Escape from Chang'an. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And that the entire movie is him using these traps and stratagems to defend against the city. While, of course, there's drama happening with inside the city walls. Mm-hmm. And the great cost at which he does it, because every citizen is expected to contribute, right? Mm-hmm. So that, like, the civilians are giving up their lives and homes. The uh, the men, the women, the children even are being yeah. used to defend the city. And that at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. the city has not fallen. The enemy uh, army has been completely defeated. Mm-hmm. But there's almost just nothing 
left of the mm-hmm. city. Like mm-hmm. it's been completely depleted. And that just so that last closing moment of sort of like, this is always what happens with aggression. You know, Aww. so I really want that to be the thing. Yeah. Uh, so this is the cl- this episode is the closest I've ever come to getting to make that happen. Oh, I'm so glad I could help you. Right. <laughs> and if you're listening to this and you're a movie director or producer and you want to make an amazing kung fu movie, <laughs> I have a script for you. I own the rights. Yeah. <laughs> it's my show. <laughs> it's your show. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're in business <laughs> together now. We're we're gonna be partners on this. <laughs> so let me know. We're gonna make this movie. It's gonna be great. It's gonna have kung fu action and Moa's philosophy. Yeah. And it's going to star Kurt Russell. Probably. Snake Bliskin. Because we can CGI Envelope Young again, right? So, <laughs> yeah. no problem. Perfect. If, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that was amazing. That was really, really good. <laughs> well, um, we're over time. Yeah. Who cares? But anyway, thank you very much, Andre. Absolutely. That was just a real blast. Thank you um, for uh, inviting my hanging spleen to be here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, we will be back next time where we'll read from the text of the Moza to learn about some of their other ideas. And uh, I, those won't be quite as dramatic and exciting, <laughs> I don't think, as military defense. But I think we've earned, the, they've earned the, our respect. But what's, through what's this. more exciting so, than the death of music, though? <laughs> the death of music. So we can find out a little bit more about how they lived the rest of their lives. And we'll grapple with the text itself and all the weirdness of it. And it's just the most, the choicest, most colorful parts Hmm. of it. That's what we've got coming up for the next episode or two. So until then, remember you can support the show on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash deadideaspod. And if you do, I will draw your portrait in the time period and culture of your choosing. You can be drawn hanging in any organ of your choosing. I won't <laughs> Not limit, just the spleen. I won't limit you to spleens. Right. But any organ of your choosing, I will draw you that way. That's it for today. I'm BT Newberg, and this is Dead Ideas. Mm-hmm.